Welcome to part two of a six-part planned podcast series discussing the perfect, air quotes, property pyramid. This pyramid lays out what five aspects and traits of a property I feel I've seen in or on every property I know which has yielded a sustained success for hunters chasing not just general deer or white-tailed deer, but bucks that sit at the top 15% or so of their localized deer age brackets and age structure. This episode discusses the top of the pyramid, which some would argue is the most unimportant, but it is part of the pyramid. It's a very crucial aspect of these properties, but maybe not in the way that many people and hunters and land managers think. We're going to touch on food on this episode of the Small Eager Hunting Podcast. You are listening to the Small Liquor Hunting Podcast, the hunting podcast that is free of advertisements, bought and paid for opinions, and minutes and minutes of sponsorships. If that's what you want, there's a plethora of other podcasts out there. Here, we're going to talk openly, we're going to talk honestly, and we're going to live in the real world. Free of sponsorships and paid for advertisements and opinions that are governed and dictated by them that sounds interesting stay tuned for this episode of the small lake hunting podcast all right let's delve in i've got some brief overview notes but for the most part this is gonna be me just letting things flow from the top of my head about this because this is a topic that we talk about to ad nauseum it is a topic that is overblown it is a topic that too many people focus on first and foremost it is a topic that i get sick of the lack of information out there i shouldn't say that there is a ton of information out there but the lack of actually going forth and trying to find it and that's the issue of it really there is so much out there about food there is so much out there about food and how deer's diets are structured but most importantly first-hand knowledge from people that are not in the industry not that i don't think there's some incredibly honest people in the industry but if you're in the food deer food food plot industry you're not going to like what I have to say on this episode of the podcast where we touch on the top of the pyramid. This is food. You know, this is not the biggest part of what makes a perfect property. If you think about like the food pyramid, the best parts of the food pyramid are towards the bottom, your vegetables and such. So this is the top. We're going to start with arguably the last piece of the puzzle. Now, I put a little bit of a caveat on this because I'll be honest, one of the two foundational pieces, because I have the bottom of the pyramid into two big chunks, and without either, the top falls. It's not balanced. It's going to fall right on that side if you pull either of those pieces out of a perfect property. Food is tied to security 
in the sense that a lot of the security cover that a lot of these best properties have or the properties that I try to design or the property type that I'm trying to sustain on my place, security goes hand in hand with a lot of food. Because one of the greatest forms of food out there, and if you're looking at the diagram, which I'm gonna hopefully share on social media pages here either before or after or during the release of this podcast on social media, mainly Facebook, if you will, and it might be on the website as well. But the the biggest source of food is early successional growth, and early successional growth eventually turns into amazing deer cover if you let it go. Um, browse, Forbes, even fungus and leaching, or however you say that word. I've never figured out if I say that word right. But, you know, during pretty much the entire year, brows make up the majority of a deer's diet. And when I say brows, we're talking about leaves, buds, and stems of woody plants. That's it. That's what makes up a large majority of the deer's diet. And you know what? The remaining, if you add these two things together, brows and forbs, there are times of the year you are at 70, 80% of a deer's diet or more is made up of those two things. And while I said brows are leaves, buds, and stems of woody plants, forbs are the broadleaf, non-woody plant variety. These are usually shade tolerant or a little bit more so. However, a lot of the quote unquote weeds out there that a lot of deer people are trained to dislike are in fact forbs. They are a desirable forb. Um, These are things that, you know, people would categorize as weeds, but really biologists and deer biologists acknowledge that these forbs are deer food you know um you know if you listen to craig harper you're gonna hear and talk him talk about one of the easiest ways to encourage better forage and food on your property is to maintain grass on field edges and anywhere that you have grass starting to take over if you treat those areas for grass just once a year and encourage more broadleaf production you are upping the amount of food and the density of food and the offering of nutritiously dense food on your property what i think i've heard him say as much as tenfold in certain locations you're going from a very low desirable uh type of growth in grass and in its place, Mother Nature is putting forth maybe ragweed, pokeweed, certain types of clover might pop up. You, you never know what's going to be there. Maybe even woody variety of small trees and shrubs and bushes are going to pop up, um, depending on the location, of course. But early successional growth is both security and food. So while food is at the top of the pyramid... The reason it's here is because the majority of people think supplemental type food or planted type food, food that is introduced to the landscape either by planting fruit or mast produced soft or hard mast uh, trees, supplemental feeding, plots, food plots, 
This is where people go. This is what they think. And they might start a property with this in mind when in reality that is in the exact opposite nature. Now, yes, you should keep in mind where you think food might fit in, if at all. Maybe your property is too small and you need it to be more of a cover, daytime activity, real thick, be the place that deer hang out, have a staging area. Maybe you provide a lot of woody brows and forbs, but no actual like plots, no actual crops, um, because you don't have the ample amount of space. But you're still providing food, and you can still go to great lengths to encourage food. Perhaps you use prescribed fire to encourage um, early successional growth occurring on your property year after year or biannual type rotation. Perhaps you include hinging in your uh, attack plan, if you will, to the property to deliver and provide food on the deer's level. Removal of the canopy and allowing things to get thick and grow up. There is a reason why the majority of deer hunters I know are attracted to the ugliest, most gnarliest, not aesthetically pleasing to the eye park-like properties. It's because they know deer live and thrive in those, those areas. And the reason they do is because they've got cover and they've got food. They're literally most of the time um, living in their cover, in their food. They're living in it. Now, yes... Um, Switchgrass, native grass plantings, there's not a lot of food inside of them. There can be, depending on the variety um, of growth that's occurring inside of them. But, and also, I've seen thickets of, or, you know, large swaths of incredibly thick bush honeysuckle. It's very low deer quality as far as on the food scale and nutritional value of the plant. Um, I've seen deer bed in those areas. But they would really prefer, of course, a thick understory with mixed growth of forbs and woody brows and early successional growth that's providing both security cover, side blockading, um, and food. They're literally living in their food, which means they can get up during the day, browse around on what they need, sometimes even having hard mast or soft mast present in there depending on the types. You might have persimmons, you might have acorns, chestnuts things of that nature in or around or or on the edges of bedding areas and they don't have to go anywhere but as far as food plots go um, and what we as hunters can provide it's one of the last things that I would focus on if I were to create a hierarchy of things that I need to put in place on the property it's one of the last things to go to but it's yet it's one of the first places that mines go to um, now, if you have an area of food or an area that you can provide food for the deer, you do have to be cognizant of that because then everything kind of has to work off and flow. Um, and it's very hard for me to describe this, but every property I've walked, every property that I've consulted with, or every property that another person has, has reached out to me and asked for my thoughts or we've discussed things, the flow of the property... The, the natural tendencies of travel of the deer is something that you have to keep in mind for your food location. And I don't want to go into this too much because we're talking about um, food just kind of in a generality and not necessarily um, 
how I would go about figuring in food to my property because there's a lot of different scenarios that are playing out and every single person listening to this podcast has a different type of a property. If you have a large area that you can provide what I would argue to be destination type food sources, um, this is something to maybe keep in mind on the front end of things, but it cannot be the backbone of your property. But the provision of food, the providing of food in general, and actually I'm not even going to go into that very deep what I was heading towards, but just food in general is one of the easiest things to give to deer. You don't need a tractor. You don't need a disc. You don't need a no-till drill. You don't need any of that stuff. Honestly, a chainsaw or prescribed fire or those two things, just a chainsaw in general is how I have provided the majority of the food on my properties is getting early successional growth to occur. Because I know if I can get early successional growth to occur, I am providing deer with an ample amount of food during the entire year. Um, and there's a, there's, a, there's a chart that's went out there. Studies after studies have been conducted of what the percent of diet in a deer's diet or percent of uh, a deer's diet is during verse the four parts of the year the four seasons if you will and it's just funny that the timing of this uh, msu deer labs shared it again they basically it's the same exact chart that's always been there may be a minor fluctuations updated with more data however this is a uh, study that i believe was conducted in 2011 um the last time it was really in depth uh studied but they released it they put a new background on it and it breaks down what the majority of the deer's diet are and fall is really the only time where the combination of brows and forbs nearly or does become less than half of a deer's diet and that's when the hard mast and the soft mast production really amps up. And it's the mast type uh, food source that really, it grows anywhere up into the 20 to 40% where other times of the year, that part of their diet's no more than 10%, give or take. So, you know, a lot of that's going to be acorns, of course, which are kind of across the landscape of my entire listening area in the U.S. for the most part. Um, certain portions of it are high evergreen content. There's not going to be a huge mast um, part of the diet. So that's one thing to keep in mind, depending where you are at in my listening audience. Um, but it's amazing. I mean, in the spring, those two things, brows and forbs, make up about 90% of a deer's diet. In the summer months, about 80%. In the fall, it gets right around that 50 to 60 range. And then in the winter, because of the woody browse dependency, it's just like the spring almost. Well, it's actually closer to the summer. But those two things are back up into that 70, 75% range of a deer's diet are made up of those things. And in certain parts of the country, it's going to be even greater. 85, 95% is going to be woody brows and what few forbs still exist in the wintertime. Um, it's an interesting time in the fall. And that's one of the reasons why 
mass trees are not something that I put a tremendous amount of worship upon, as I've called it in the past. I don't worship oak trees because an oak tree on its side oftentimes or down and out and remove the canopy will oftentimes provide more food to my deer than if it was still standing. Now, granted, the location of that oak tree, the desirability and maybe the rarity of that oak tree might cause it to be of more hunting value if it remained vertical and I protected it and I allowed it to produce, maybe even encouraged it to produce. However, there's contradicting studies out there on how much you can do with human interaction and fertilization of a tree. One of the greatest ways to make an oak tree produce more is releasing the canopy around it. So we're back to logging and chainsawing and encouraging more growth both on the understory, but then if you leave an oak tree or two or three in a pocket in an area and they're allowed to stretch their canopy out, they're going to produce more acorn mast. And we're back to producing better food. But ultimately, none of this food matters, if you will, if they don't have the things beneath it in the pyramid, which we're going to discuss. But one of the greatest things that I know on a small property that I always harp on to people is I want my food plots, I want every single food plot. And I'm different than a lot of people out there um, in this aspect because a lot of people... um, even some of my dear friends who who are much more established in the industry than I, but a few of them that are established more than I, um, they agree with me. They don't do a lot of massive, wide, um, open area food plots because they are more so on the small scale. I know some guys that own 100, 200 acres, and they don't have a food plot over two or three acres. And... I know another gentleman who he he has a five to ten acre food he has two five to ten acre food plots, but neither one of them is wider than forty yards wide, because he wants a deer at all times. He's like me. He wants a deer at all times on his property to be no more than a leap or two from cover. Just like me, he he sees the deer's body language so much more different on properties that have that have cover have security woven into their food plot plan, woven into their food sources more than other properties. You can literally see it in the demeanor of the deer. I hunt uh, quite a few different properties. Um, One that has a lot of row crop. My property specifically that doesn't have any row cropping has small food plots. The biggest food plot um, section is probably half to a three quarters of an acre now i have a couple uh half to three quarters of an acre food plots that are connected by uh, a food plot trail if you will um so to all together it might equal more but a deer is never far from cover and then i've hunted you know when we had the homestead property there towards the end we had uh, a winding weaving Uh, food plot system that was probably about two acres in total but a deer could be standing in the middle of the biggest spot and still make up ground and be two leaps from cover Um, but it was a little bit bigger than mine Um, they had they had to really bound to be two leaps Um, i've hunted other spots that are kind of a river bottom edge two agricultural open field or a fallow field grass field old alfalfa field Um, and i've seen the demeanor of all these different deer when interacting with food 
and the amount of times that a, a, a whitetail doe comes to full alert is more intense the more open and more exposed they become or the bigger the food source that they're entering and it makes sense it's just logical so it's just something to consider um Food plots are focused on way too much in the deer world, way too much by land managers, way too much by deer consultants, way too much by the industry. Um, you know, the new wave of exactly how you need to go about doing food plots, what you need to plant in the food plots. I mean, dear Lord, most people don't even know what's in their mix. They just know the brand of the mix or or uh, the name of the brand or maybe even the bag. Some people don't even know the name of the actual mix. They just know the brand. Um, it's ridiculous anymore. And, you know, the other day there was a post, and I've spoken on this before, where they wanted to know their favorite food plot for a kill plot. What is your favorite um, go-to food plot in the woods or in a spot for killing, for harvesting deer? And all these people are regurgitating taglines or brands of seed. They're not even actually saying what type of seed, which I know is what the original poster was wanting to know about. Um, you know, and, and mine went back to the pyramid, basically. I want a plot that is located near or around that has a high level of security, one of the two foundational pieces of my pyramid. I want to have foolproof, 100% almost, as close as I can get to that, of a foolproof entrance and exit to and from a stand to be able to hunt it. That's the other foundational piece of my pyramid. I want limited and designed pressure on that plot. I'm not going to go and check cameras on it during the hunting season. I'm going to limit my exposure um, human-wise on that location as much as I possibly can. Any other hunter that has permission, we have a very strategic and thought-out plan of when we hunt that uh, that spot, whether it be morning or, or evening, what time of the year we will start doing morning hunts, when we won't allow morning hunts, what winds you can and cannot period, end of discussion, hunt the property or hunt that location, I should say. That's the piece right above the two foundational pieces of my pyramid. And then the layers and zones, that all goes back to the natural flow of the property. I don't want a plot just plugged in because it's the easiest place to put a plot. I want it to be in a location that makes sense in a transitional area. It causes a flow of the property to and from bedding from nighttime sources, perhaps even off my property in relation to the bedding that makes it the most conducive spot for me for an ambush in, in essence. All of those things are underneath and are vastly more important than what actual food source I have. I've told numerous clients and I will say it right now if all you ever buy is winter cereal rye you can kill deer and you can create some greatly successful food plots with it now yes diversity is great um it's great for the soil i think it's good and attractive for deer to offer them a variety of different things I just don't think you need to go as gangbuster about it as a lot of people do. You give deer something that is naturally edible to them, that is secure, that is 
palatable, but most importantly, that security factor. Most importantly, it's not exposed to human intrusion a ton, human pressure a ton. You give the deer that, you've got a good food plot. You've got good food. And that, that's actually like a cherry on top of the actual food that your property needs to deliver, which again, as I've said, is that early successional growth. And oftentimes, a lot of you out there that are just like me, your early successional growth is going to serve two purposes. It's going to provide security cover and bedding and sanctuary, and it's also going to provide food. Yes, having the deer able to eat where they bed does limit the amount of movement outside of the bedding areas. That is a valid critique of my style of setting up properties. But when you only have 20 acres to deal with, you cannot afford to not maximize every square foot of the property. Now you give me 30, 40, 50, 60 acres, we might start talking about monoculture type bedding areas, primarily switchgrass. But I'm going to diversify my bedding options with a lot of hinged, removed canopy, early successional fallow encouraged growth field-wise. I can't tell you the amount of times I've told people to take fields out of production of either food plots or row cropping, disc them and let Mother Nature retake them. They're going to be incredible bedding areas, incredible food sources for the deer. One of the most attractive candies to deer are those fallow fields that are in year two and three and four, depending on the growth and the soil types and how quickly it starts to be rec reclaimed by nature. Those are the most attractive things. It's incredible. I would argue the next best is those areas of large, um, you know, at least acre in size clear cuts inside of timber. Oh my gosh. Talk about a smorgasbord inside of a desert of food. It's incredible to hear from my friends that hunt big timber public land, especially up north where there's not a lot of hard mast, if any, how attractive they say those clear cuts are. It is night and day. It's not just better. It's incredibly better. And hunters seek those out if they have any brain inside of them. But that's the top of the pyramid. This is the cherry on top of the perfect property. It has good food. It has diverse food offerings, but it's not the focal point of the property per se. Now, some of really good properties, they have refined a lot of it. It's firing on all cylinders and their food uh, system, if you will, their food plan, all of their soft mass, their fruit trees, their pears, their apples, their persimmons. They've got acorns and chestnuts and they're planted strategically on edges of food plots and in clusters and other areas. They've got a lot of early successional growth. They're incorporating more cutting to keep the canopy from maturing. They're possibly maybe doing burning if they're comfortable with it. They're doing all these things. So it is, it, while it is an incredibly attractive feature of their property, however, 
everything that we're going to discuss in part three, part four, part five, and part six, but especially part five and part six, which is entrance and exit and security. Those things make the source of food attractive and usable, if you will, to the deer. Food is of no use to deer if they don't feel secure and they don't feel safe. And they're being pressured. It's pointless to have it. So just remember this when you're thinking about tweaking your property. Maybe you got a new property. Maybe you need another set of eyes. Maybe you just need somebody to not be regurgitating the mess that you hear in the industry. Regurgitating, well, you got to provide food for this and let's do this and that. No, let's focus on everything else first and the food will take care of itself when we get there. If, if you're going to invest money in your property, I'm telling you right now, start investing in food once you've secured all the other things. And the crazy thing is, the other things are not the expensive part as far as money goes. They might take more effort and sweat but they're not the most expensive typically to deliver. But then again, you pay more for these small little delicate desserts at a restaurant than you do for a steak when it comes to like per pound or per size of what you're putting in your mouth. So this is Ty, Small Acre Hunting. Thank you so much for tuning in to part two of this six-part series. Do me a favor. I don't ask for much. This isn't a podcast that's sponsored. Nothing's an income source for me when it comes to this. If you at all feel that what I'm discussing, what we're tackling, um, is of use and of value, it would mean the world to me if you review the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on, um, if that is a feature that you can do. If you can comment and share the podcast on whatever social media platforms you use, I would greatly appreciate it. In the end, thank you. I do this because I enjoy it. I do this because I want to help those of you out there that maybe are questioning whether it's worth delving into properties, making it better. Um, maybe you feel hopeless and helpless. Maybe all you have is you know gas for a chainsaw and a garden rake, or maybe you don't have anything, but you can get access to those items. You can rent them for the day. Um, you can begin to make a property better. And the main ingredient of it all is effort. So and I want you to know that. Um, I've come a long way from where we started putting in food plots with garden rakes, you know, hand pump chemical sprayers by the gallon, rear tine garden tillers. Um, our first tiller that we use to put in food plots is probably still setting back there in this small little trail that leads from one plot to the other on my parents homestead property that they they sold a few years back the thing literally broke down putting in food plots um, wasn't designed to put in acres and acres of food plots that's for sure so where there's a will there's a way and uh, I want you to know that and I want you to believe that this is Ty small acre hunting God bless thank you and good luck out there.